The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. All right. Well, we're in the third week of this series. We've been calling, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Um, I, I think the first two weeks, I wasn't here last week. I was preaching at another church, but I listened to the message and I was here for the first week. And I think Josh did a phenomenal job. I don't think Josh is here today. But he's done a great job setting us up in this series that we've called, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And in essence, the series has really been about how do we disagree and still maintain unity? And this is important in the context of the local church, in the context of us being a part of a church, how can we disagree on things and still maintain unity? Today, we're going to talk about the part that the conscience plays, your conscience and my conscience. What happens when our consciences disagree? What part does the conscience play whenever we disagree and how do we continue to maintain unity within the church? A couple years ago, when I was a youth pastor, several years ago, um, we were hosting this event uh, for our student ministry on Halloween night. Our student ministry night fell on Halloween, and uh, we were hosting an event on Halloween. I don't know if you know this or not, but not all Christians agree on what should happen on Halloween. I don't know if you know that or not. Maybe you're not in the loop on it, but not all Christians agree. But we had Halloween night on our student ministry night, and we were finishing up a series called legendary. I was preaching through the gospels and the miracles of Jesus. This particular night, Halloween night, I was preaching from Luke chapter eight when Jesus raised a guy named Jairus, his daughter. She was dead. Jesus raised her from the dead. And so I was finishing this series on legend called legendary. And the sermon that night from Luke chapter eight was called the walking dead. It just all went together. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I was so proud of myself. Like this is like the creative genius moment of my entire ministry. Legendary. It's Halloween night. We're preaching on the walking dead. This is when the walking dead was like at the height, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen the show or not, but Carl, remember young kid, Carl? Carl used to occasionally attend our youth ministry in Atlanta. We had another kid that was on the walking dead. He used to come to our youth ministry there. We interviewed him that night, but that wasn't it. The icing on the cake for me was I had our staff dress up as zombies. Now, hold on a minute. (laughs) And they learned the thriller dance, okay? And so, you know, before every sermon and every sermon, we've got this bumper video. The bumper video that night was our staff. Some of you guys are looking at me with a very scornful eye right now. They dressed up as zombies and they came out and they did the thriller dance. And it was like the intro to the sermon that night. I was so pumped. I'm like, I will never be able to replicate this creative moment in my entire, this is awesome. Some of you guys are looking at me and you're like, I got to set a meeting with Pastor Matt. (laughs) You don't need to because a homeschool mom did, okay? And um, no, I love homeschoolers. I really do. Matt, you're amazing. And so um, I love homeschool moms. And she set a meeting with me and she came in and and she was angry. I mean, she was fuming mad, right? I mean, she was like, you're teaching our kids the occult. Literally, that's what she told me. Like, you're leading our kids to the occult. She was so angry. Her husband was with her. He never said a word. And he just had this look on his face like, oh man, dude, I'm really sorry. I really know what this is like. And so it was like, she was so mad. She was like, you should be fired for doing this. And at the end of the conversation, I, we just had to come to this point. And, and I just said to her, we went round and round and round. And I was like, you know what? We just need to agree to disagree. And she was angry. and She was mad. 
And she left. And I remember when she left, I remember thinking she is absolutely crazy. <laughs> and because I had this thing, I, I just thought, you know, my conscience did not bear down on me when, when I was thinking about bringing zombies on stage. And I know it's probably a lapse of judgment, but I was like, my conscience didn't, like, I, I didn't mind The Walking Dead. I love the attraction at Universal Studios. It's amazing. My conscience didn't bear down on me in that moment, but hers did. I've gotten a little bit older, and uh, as I think back, I think, you know, there's, there's, she was probably right about a few things there. Not many, but a few. But the reality was, in that moment, her conscience bore down on something that she just could not participate in, could be a part of. And her conscience is different. Our conscience has differed there, and so we had this real moment of disagreement. She literally wanted me to be fired. You know, sometimes these disagreements happen in the church, and sometimes they're painful moments of conversation. Sometimes these moments lead to people saying, you know what, I, I just, I can't agree here, so I've got to go, and, and people actually leave the church. Sometimes these conversations are moment of, moments of clarity and moments of unity, I remember a couple years ago, I don't know where he is here in the auditorium this morning, but a couple years ago, we, we used to run haze here in this auditorium. And, and the haze set off the smoke alarms right as the service was starting. I don't know if you were here then, but Steve Burton, he's on the front row. Don't look at him, but he's right there. And so he came to me after the service. He was like, hey, he's real humble. Hey, do we, do we really need the smoke? And in a moment, I was like, it's just a preference, man. It's just a preference. But the reality was, his conscience was, man, do we really need to do church like this? And so our pastoral team decided, you know what? It's not worth bearing down on somebody else's conscience just to create a certain ambiance in the church. And so we have these moments of disagreement quite often. We have these moments of disagreement. The conversation and the question before us as we are diving into this series called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? There's, there's easy questions, but then the questions get a lot harder. And today the question before us is this. How do our personal convictions, how do our personal convictions shape the way in which we pursue unity? Or we can say it, in another way this morning. What do we do when our conscience says, I can do this, and somebody else's conscience says, I cannot do this? Romans chapter 14 is such a beautiful passage today. It's a beautiful passage explaining what happens when our consciences disagree and what they differ and, and how we should respond in the local church. Now, let me tell you, we're going to baptize this morning and we're really, really excited about that. I'm not going to get all the way through the sermon. In fact, I've punted to part one and part two. It's going to end here in a couple of weeks, okay? But we are going to go Romans chapter 14, starting in verse one. We're going to go all the way through verse nine. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to read with me. I want you to read with me this morning. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse one. The scripture says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over, now listen to what the author says here in Romans, without quarreling over disputable matters. The version of the Bible that I read mostly in my preparation for sermon prep is the New American Standard Version. And the New American Standard Version does not use disputable matters. The New American Standard Version uses the word opinions. And so Paul is dealing here. 
In Romans chapter 14, with the church in Corinth, he's dealing with relationships between what he describes as weak and strong Christians in the church in Rome. And so Paul is saying there are weak brothers and sisters among us who have not yet fully realized that whenever we give our life and our soul over to Jesus, we are now free from the law. And what results is, is that that brother or that sister still in their conscience senses a responsibility to the law. Specifically here in the church in Rome, there's a debate going on between weak believers and strong believers. And the debate is over a couple issues, whether or not we should drink wine, whether or not we should eat meat, And the debate is also over whether or not we should observe certain days as the Sabbath. Now, there's a word here in verse 1 that sort of frames the entire context of Romans chapter 14. The word here in the Greek is dialogosimai. Dialogosimai. And it's the idea of arguing or disputing over differences. In the New, in New International Version, it is disputable matters. In the New American Standard Version, it's the word opinions. It gives us this idea of arguing or disputing over our differences. And the word is made up of two parts. The first part is, means a judging. The second part means two. Simply, the word means we are judging between two ways. We're judging between two differences with the purpose and the point of deciding which is correct. Now, Paul's talking about the conscience here in Romans chapter 14. He's talking about the conscience, and the implication is that the weak brother or sister, listen to me, has trouble in their mind arriving at peace in their conscience on certain things. Now, before we get to how we deal with each other when our consciences differ, I think it's important for us this morning to understand what the Bible says about our conscience. In the New Testament, we see this word conscience over 30 different times. Here's how the conscience is described several ways. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, the Bible describes the conscience as good. Acts 24, 16, the Bible describes it as our conscience can be clear. Romans 2.15, it describes our conscience as bearing witness. 1 Corinthians 8.10, our conscience is described as having the ability to be weak or defiled or wounded. 1 Corinthians 10.27 and 28, our conscience can be determined by other people's conscience. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, our conscience can be commended to other people. And then we see in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 9, our conscience can be clear. We see in 1 Timothy 4.2, our conscience can be seared. Another word is it can be deadened. Hebrews 9.14 says our conscience can be purified. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says our conscience can be clean and it can be washed. So here's some of the positive ways that scripture describes our conscience. It can be good. It can be blameless. It can be clear. It can be purified. It can be washed. It can be clean. Some of the negative ways that scripture describes our conscience. It can be weak. It can be defiled. It can be evil. It can be guilty. It can be deadened. It can be seared. It can be prone to sin. And so this conscience that all of us have can lead all of us to act in one of three ways, typically. Number one, our conscience leads us to act in one of three ways. Number one, we judge. Judge simply means we sit in a place of superiority over someone else. 
Number two, our conscience can lead us to act in such a way where we try to determine somebody else's freedom. Number three, our conscience can lead us to act in such a way where it bears witness to Christ. And so in essence, in essence, what our conscience is, it's, it's, it's this inward faculty that distinguishes right and wrong. It's the same inward faculty that distinguishes what is right and what is wrong or what you believe is right and what you believe is wrong. By the way, everybody has a conscience. Not only does everybody have a conscience, but that conscience is specific to each of us. My conscience is different from your conscience. Not only that, but your conscience can change. The Bible says it can be purified. It can be washed. It can be prone to sin. It can be deadened. It can be guilty. The conscience will monitor. The conscience will witness. The conscience will judge. The conscience will guide you. Now listen, we need to be clear on something because we can hear this message and read Romans chapter 14 and misunderstand the emphasis that Paul is making and what he is pointing to as the differences that we're disagreeing on. We need to be clear here. Paul primarily has in mind, listen, he's got issues in mind that come up that are not clear commands of scripture. You need to understand this because some of you are going to process this this morning and you're going to think about things that we read in the Bible that are absolutely clear and yet we still have debates. over. That's not what Paul primarily has in mind. We see that in verse 17 later on in the passage. He talks about being a believer. It's not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness and peace. There are clear commands that God has given us. But what Paul has in mind here are these debatable things. These gray areas of life, these things that we have principles over in scripture, but we don't have clear commands. These things that we have freedoms over in scripture, but we do not have clear commands. These are the gray areas of life that each of us may have a different conscience about. For example, look in verse two. Look in verse two. This is where the church in Rome had a different conscience, where they were disagreeing. Verse two, one person's faith that says allows them to eat anything. But another's faith is weak and it, they eat only vegetables. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you do what you want to with that. But listen, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That probably wasn't appropriate. So <laughs> one person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Listen, verse three, the one who eats everything the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, must not despise. The one who says, I can eat anything. I'm not a vegetarian. I can eat meat. I can do anything. That person, the Bible says, must not look with contempt on the one who does not. Now listen. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Now listen how he finishes verse three. For God has accepted them. Now, verse five, we have another example of how they're disagreeing. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. They're debating. What is the Sabbath? One day considers one day, one person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So in the church of Rome, we've got teetotalers, 
We've got vegans and we've got Seventh-day Adventists and they're opposing other people's conscience on those issues. And so the church in Rome has brothers and sisters who are debating whether they can eat meat, whether they can drink wine, whether they should celebrate the Sabbath on a certain day. And so the strong believers, the strong believers here, the people who make statements like, I can eat anything. Why can't you? And the writer here suggests that those who are strong have the tendency in their conscience that leads them to look down on weaker brothers. These are people who make statements. Someone who says things like, I can do this, why can't you? Things like, now listen, I can vote for Donald Trump. Why can't you? I can drink alcohol. Why can't you? I can act in this type of movie. Why can't you? I can dress my kids up for Halloween and ask strangers for candy. Why can't you? Listen to me. I can support the wall. Why can't you? I can oppose illegal immigration. Why can't you? Then we have other brothers in the fellowship here in the Church of Rome whose conscience won't allow them to go those places and those weak brothers and sisters, they don't despise. Those weak brothers and sisters have another response that their conscience leads them to do and their response is to judge. They sit in the place of superiority. Remember the weak brothers and sisters still have this sense of responsibility to the law. And their belief is sort of pharisaical in some ways that if I just continue to do these things or not do these things, it attributes to my standing with God, my right standing with God. I'm more favorable in God's eyes. And then they look at people who can do those things when we say we can't do those things and we look at them in a place of superiority. I'm better than you because I don't do that. These are people who say, I can't do this. Why can you? I can't eat meat. How cruel that you would kill animals and eat them. I can't vote for Donald Trump. How can you? I can't support Black Lives Matter. How can you? I can't watch R-rated movies. How can you? The first few were a little heavy, so let me get light. I can't decorate Christmas trees because it's a pagan holiday. How can you? <laughs> Remember, Paul's context here is the local church. We have common ground and common principles for which we can disagree. Once we step outside of those boundaries and a believer and a non-believer experience disagreement, we don't disagree on the same principles and on the same foundation. So let me interject this one for the church. I can't read the message. How can you? Now, now here's why these issues are difficult. Listen. It's not actually that your conscience is taking one side or another. The issue that the writer here is having is that we allow, is what we allow our conscience to do with what we believe about each of these opinions. That's what Paul calls these. They are opinions. 
Paul does say there are weak opinions and there are strong opinions. You can have a strong opinion that is theologically correct. You can have a weak opinion that is theologically incorrect. But Paul is saying here, these are opinions. And Paul's not concerned with necessarily with where you stand on these issues. But here's what he's troubled by. He's troubled by the fact that you can't accept the other person. It's not the disagreement. It's the disunity. Look at what he says here in verse four. He says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own masters, servants stand or fall, and they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. He starts off and he says, who are you to judge? Now listen to me. The author here does not mean judging whether or not they are saved, whether or not they are going to heaven or whether or not they are going to hell. Verse 10, that judgment is implied later on in verse 10. Here, the judgment is not implied whether or not they're saved, whether or not they're going to heaven, whether or not they're going to hell. What he means is, why are you judging their moral character? Why are you judging their integrity? Their conscience might be weak in regards to this debatable matter, the author wants to say, but they can still stand with integrity before God. Why can't they stand with integrity before you? This may or may not surprise you. Some of you that know me may be like, nope, that's exactly what I thought. My family, does not watch R-rated movies. Um, it's, it's, not, um, it's not an issue that we impose on other people. We have just consciously said as a family, not that we haven't, not that we won't ever, but we just don't make it a habit to watch R-rated movies. We just said, we, we're just not gonna bring into our home gratuitous sex and violence and language in, in, in our home. Now listen to me but we would never impose that on you and your family. There's no chapter and verse about R-rated movies. When I was a youth pastor, I had three graduating seniors who were guys that I had discipled for several years and it was getting close to the day they were gonna graduate and they were out of school and they were like, hey, let's go watch a movie. And I was like, yes, let's do it. In the spur of the moment, we got in the car and we're on the way to the movie theater. And I'm like, oh, by the way, what movie are we gonna go watch? They're like, we're gonna go watch this. And I was like, ooh, I know. And I had this moment, like, I'm, is, there's a lot of tension. I'm like, hey, guys, I, look, please. Um, I, 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 my conscience just won't let me go see the movie. And I, but listen, I, um, I won't think any differently of you guys if you do. This doesn't mean that you're right and I'm wrong or I'm wrong. And you're, I just, my conscience doesn't allow me to go see this particular movie. They legit thought I was Amish, no kidding. And so... I want you to think for a moment. I sure do love you, Ileana. <laughs> I want you to think for a moment on some of these issues and I want you to think about where you stand. I want you to think about your conscience for a moment. Maybe it's your position on alcohol. Maybe it's your conscience on Halloween. 
Maybe it's your conscience on what type of movies your family is gonna watch or not watch, or maybe even what type of movies you will work on. Maybe it's your conscience, listen to me, on Republicans or Democrats. Maybe it's your conscience on whether we should come to church in coat and tie or blue jeans. Can I ask you a few questions? And I want to encourage you to write these down. You may even want to take your phone out and and take a picture of the screen here for just a moment because I think these are are good questions to to allow your, your conscience to soak in. First question is this. Does your conscience lead you to judge or despise someone with a different opinion? Second question, do you have God's view of your strengths and weaknesses? Or do you just believe all of my opinions, all of my places where my conscience bears down on me, they're all strengths and everybody else is weak? Are you patient and non-judgmental towards somebody else's differing conscience? Lastly, do you push your conscience Onto others. Now, let me remind us and be clear once again, we're not talking about God's clear commands because we can take this and think, well, should we? No, 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 no. As a church, we have a responsibility. Let me remind you again. I've said this often. I say it in our Discover City uh, class. The Bible is the loudest voice at Story City Church. It's the loudest voice. Uh, I, I make, I hide behind, I don't hide behind that statement at all. The Bible is the loudest voice in our church. And there are places where the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. And in those places, we have a responsibility to proclaim the truth. Not arrogantly, not proudly, but to proclaim the truth. But then there are other places where we have principles and debatable matters and freedoms And in those places, we are not looking to push our conscience on to you. And so the question is, how do our personal convictions shape the way in which we pursue unity? Can I take the pressure off for just a moment on you and and, and put it on on me and and our, our church leadership team? Church leaders are notorious for their conscience as it pertains to how to lead the church. We we have debates over how the church should be led. And so we have these models of church, things that we call like attractional model of church. We just put on the most epic worship experience you can imagine. And then we have models like the missional model. We do church in homes and, and, and we just meet together and, and, and we are just low-key personal evangelists and whatever happens, happens. And then we have other models that are described like the church growth model where we go as wide as possible and if they get saved, they'll learn how to feed themselves and it's about leadership and strategy and vision. And then we have models that are discipleship only and the only ones that matter are the few Christians in the room and we'll go deep with those few Christians in the room because you know what? Other people are going to get saved. Let them get saved. When they get saved, they can come to us for discipleship. And so there's all these leadership models. And what happens in church leadership worlds is that we segregate ourselves to different corners and then we take out our grenades and we lob them over the fence at each other. And we write blogs and we post tweets and we critique someone's outreach ministry to the homeless. And we say, is that social justice ministry or is that inherent in the gospel? 
we got critiqued by a local pastor for our Easter outreach event just two months ago. And, and we have these things. And here's the reason why we have all of these different ways of doing church. Because we don't have a clear command on how to do church. We have principles. But we have no specific plan for how church should be done. And I have friends who lead house church models. And I have friends who lead attractional models. And they try to do out, out do last weekend service. And the house church models are like, leave me alone. It's just us in here, us four and no more. And I have a different conscience and I have a different theological conviction on those. But listen to me, I should be constantly evaluating and educating my conscience, but I can still love those brothers and sisters and champion them in their efforts to reach people, to disciple believers. Now, let me close here, and we're gonna go baptize. Do you know how we as church leaders and then how we as people in the church who love the church struggle with a lot of these issues? Do you know how that happens? Paul begins to address it in verse six. I want you to read with me. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks. Do you catch a pattern here? To God. Verse seven, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, something different, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Verse eight, if we live, we live, listen to what he says, for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, verse nine, Christ died and returned to life so that he may become the Lord of both the dead and the living. You know what the challenge is in navigating unity in the context of disagreement? You know what the challenge is here in navigating unity in the context of disagreement? The challenge is whether it's about me or it's really about the Lord. I don't mean to simplify this this morning, and don't get me wrong, I believe, I honestly believe, in the chaos of disagreement, we can genuinely be for the Lord in having our conscience heard. But listen, I too often wonder, I often way, I wonder way too often whether or not my posture is indeed really about God and his holiness, or it's about me and my rightness. Reminds us of last week in the words that Josh spoke to us from Philippians chapter two. I believe Philippians two is the most complete passage of scripture on what humility and selflessness looks like. Jesus was the embodiment of humility. He was the embodiment of selflessness. And listen to me, he calls us to take on that same humility. So can I say to you this morning, we should walk cautiously. We should walk cautiously and discern whether our conscience is leading us to act selfishly. Again, we're not talking about clear commands of scripture. We're talking about the areas that are gray, the areas where there are debates, the areas where there are principles, the areas where we have freedoms so let me paraphrase what Paul has said so far. We're gonna finish this message 
verse 10 through 23 later. Next, not next week, but two weeks. And let me paraphrase what Paul has said so far. The goal in having convictions about things that are not clear commands is not that you are right. It's that you are godly in how your conscience leads you. It's about God. It's not about you. Now hear me say something this morning. It is good and it is right and it is necessary to have convictions about things. But it is not good and it is not right and it is not necessary to make those convictions about the gray areas, debatable areas, It's not good and right to make those convictions somebody else's convictions when Scripture is not clear. Verse 3, because God can accept them. Why can't you? And so there's some questions that we need to navigate in disagreement. I'm going to continue these in the next sermon, but let me give you a few, and you can write these down or take a picture. Number one, am I cultivating my conscience? Cultivating my conscience. Am I cultivating it? Tending to it? Or am I just saying, you know what? This is what I believe. This is where I am. And I'm not cultivating my conscience. My understanding and aligning it to God's word. His standards, his laws, his rules. And the freedoms that were purchased by the gospel. Number two, am I calibrating my conscience? Similar to be more scripturally informed. I want to remind you, the Bible is the loudest voice we have. And in our culture, I fully realize that there is this notion that's pervasive that what really is truth anyway? What is right and what is wrong? I just want to posture to you at Story City, what we believe is right is wrong is found in this book. And so am I, am, I, am I calibrating my conscience to what that book says, to be scripturally informed? Number three, am I educating my conscience by submitting it to God's view of whatever the issue may be? Number four, am I training my conscience by telling it what God says and living that out? And then number five, this is good. Am I working to understand where others' consciences are or am I just blasting Facebook messages I want to tell you I'm grieved by some of the things not necessarily in our church but by Christians and the things they say on social media and the names they call people and the words we use towards other people God can accept them what's wrong with you in two weeks I'm going to go back and finish out this series, verse 10 through 23. And let me give you the three things we're going to look at. What happens when I abuse my liberties and freedoms? You know, there are liberties and freedoms in the scripture that we have. What happens, though, when I abuse those liberties and freedoms? What happens also when I decide to push my conscience on somebody else? This is how I parent. And bless God, this is how he wants us to parent. And this is how you should parent, too. What happens when I push my conscience on other people? Finally, how should our conscience work in these four areas? God's clear commands. How should our conscience work in God's clear commands? How should our conscience work in debatable matters? 
How should our conscience work in principles and scripture? And then finally, how should our conscience work in our freedoms? We're going to continue in two weeks. I hope you'll be back for it. I think this series has been really, really good. I think it's a challenge to all of us, regardless of where we are. As we navigate, how do we disagree yet still maintain unity? I'm going to pray for us. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go outside. We've got quite a few baptisms this morning we're excited about. We're going to celebrate together. You may disagree on some things that we talked about this morning, but we can come together and celebrate new life in Christ this morning. We're going to do that. excited to do that. If you have kids, we want to ask you to go ahead and grab them before you go outside. And then we'll get started here in just a few minutes. Lord, thank you for today. Challenging and convicting, Lord. God, would you remind us that it is about you and not about us, not about our rightness. God, would you also remind us that it's good to have consciences, you call them weak and strong, but God, may we be people that are cultivating those consciences, educating those consciences, calibrating them, submitting them to your view, to be scripturally informed. God, may you just give us humility towards one another, God. God, give us humility. May the watching world, the surrounding world, look at us and know us by our, not disagreements, but our love towards one another. May we be that people. May we be that church, Lord. God, may you protect us from disunity and disagreement, Lord. Not that those things are bad, but when disagreement comes, God, would you protect us from disunity? Root it out. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We'll see you guys outside.